Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah, we want to make, I thought it was sort of funny. It's like, you know, invite your friends to come for us, you know, for the spaghetti. And it's like, oh, yeah, we've got a little music. And this guy stands up and he talks for a little while. And <laughs> then we have food. So, so whatever gets them here, right? <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, this day, for this time, and for your word. And Lord, I just pray that uh, what uh, you have given me to share will uh, be meaningful, will be helpful, um, will be edifying, even as it challenges us. So uh, just bless this time that we have, Father. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started the series, this series last week. Um, membership has its responsibilities. And of course, privileges is, is crossed off. And we do that because we kind of went back to that American Express commercial that you know, had that campaign for a good long time that talked about membership had its privileges. And so last week, we, we kind of talked about that and how that really was not an accurate portrayal of what church membership is supposed to be like. And that first of all, as we discussed last week, we are to be um, functioning church members. And there were four things that were associated with a functioning church member. If you recall, we said, first of all, it's understanding that you are a necessary part of the whole. So understanding that you have a role to play in the church. And just as Paul's description of the body and all the body parts that he talks about all have a specific role. And if one doesn't work, then the body becomes sick or um, doesn't function as it, it properly is supposed to. Working together with others despite any differences. And that was... Uh, go, uh, was, was point number two. And uh, that we're going to go into a little bit more um, today. Third was we always want to build on the biblical foundation of love. And we talked about Corinthians 13 and how that, um, although used quite often as a, a series of verses for weddings, really is talking about church unity and how we're supposed to function as a body because it's right in between those chapters that are specifically discussing this. And then finally, just choosing to approach church membership biblically um, is uh, the fourth aspect of this. And so that's really understanding this whole concept, right? That to be a church member means we've got to function. And I, I, we mentioned last week that we were going to be discussing uh, these messages in life groups. And that uh, has already borne some fruit. Because one of the things that came up in the life group that I take part in was uh, a discussion like, well, gee, it would be really great if we had a place where needs that are out in the community could be made known or even needs that are in the church could be made known. And then if someone could, in fact, meet that need in some way, then they would be aware of it. So if you'll take a look at some point, not, you don't have to look right now, but on the side of the sound booth, uh, I guess it's my right, your left at this point, there's two little bulletin boards. One of them says community needs, and one of them says family needs, okay? Family's us, so if there's a need within our body, um, couldn't be anything really. It could be um, your, well, I mean, Steve Nielsen was a good example of this. He, you know, he had his heart attack and he was home and it happened right about the time they were getting ready to get the leaves up out of their yard. 
and we couldn't do that anymore. So that would have been a perfect opportunity for them to put that need on there. And then some, then the church is able to sort of gather some people together and go over and clean up their yard for them. So anything like that. But outside of the community, if you're aware of somebody that has some kind of a need that is outside of our family, you know, then put that there. I was kind of what I think started this was uh, Bobby had made some people aware that there was a woman in need of a bicycle. And so that sort of fueled the discussion, and this would be a way to make something like that known so that someone says, well, gosh, I got a bike in the garage that's just sitting there and nobody's using it, and be a great opportunity then to put those two things together. So there's some note cards that are in the, uh, the little holder with the giving envelopes. And, you know, anytime, and I, there's only one push pin on each board, so I will get some more. <laughs> so we're <laughs> a little limited today, but I will make a trip to Office Max and get some more push pins. But anyway, just that's one of the fruits that has kind of come out of this already. So, you know, this idea that we can really be functioning church members and doing something um, for each other. But today I want to elaborate a little bit more on the second point because what we're going to talk about today really involves unity. And it's, it's absolutely crucial in a church. And that's why it's one of the five tenets of the Harmony Vineyard Way, this idea of unity in the body. God desires for Christians to get along. I mean, that's really not, shouldn't stretch anybody too much. Uh, Jesus was very clear about it when he said, and this was from John 13.35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Okay? Did you get that? That the world will know if we are Christians or not by the way believers act towards each other. So, for example, have you ever been to a really ugly church meeting? <laughs> you know, business meeting, and people are at each other's throats, and so forth. And what would happen if an outsider, someone who was just coming to the church that day, decided they would stay for that meeting? would they have been impressed with the Christian behavior that they witnessed at this church meeting? Or have you ever heard Christians gossip about other Christians? Is that really loving one another? See, when you become a Christian, God expects you to be part of his church. But when you do that, when you become part of his church, he wants you to be a unifying presence there. And actually, let me state that a little bit more strongly. He demands that you become a unifying presence there. And the evidence to this is pretty clear. So let's take a look uh, a little more closely about how you can be a unifying church member. So the first point I would like to draw out is that to be a unifying church member is about being a source of unity, being a source of unity. Now, as you've heard me talk over the years, obviously I, uh, I love team sports. I've been a participant 
uh, for many years in team sports. And, and, you know, I was thinking about that, and I thought, well, I talk about this all the time, but I don't really, I've never presented any proof. For all you know, I could be making this up. So here is a picture of the Butler men's basketball team from 1977 and 78. Notice the handsome fellow wearing number 53. Yeah, you could. You were trying to find me, weren't you, if I hadn't pointed that out. Yeah, no facial hair. And then that's my best friend, Doug, who was here a while back, number 54, sitting next to me. Um, so anyway, so in my years of playing and watching team sports, you know, I have seen myself average teams with average talent. I shouldn't say average teams. Teams with average talent compete for championships. Now, don't get me wrong. A team needs to have talented and gifted athletes as part of it. But I really do speak from experience when I say that what's even more important than the talent and giftedness is that those team members work together. Unity is important. It's absolutely critical. And likewise, when church members don't work together, the church is weaker as a whole. Now, my analogy may be uh, a little on the weak side simply because the local church is way more important than any sports team. But I think you get the point. Unity is vital to the health of a church. And that means every church member, you and I included, have got to contribute to the unity of the church. The Apostle Paul said a lot about unity in the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And let's look, well, let's look at a couple of things, first of all. He obviously liked the church, thought it was a good church, but he still he had a lot to say about, about unity. So he said this. He said, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give you thanks, to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Did you pick up on why Paul was thankful for the church members? Well, first of all, he was thankful for their faith in Jesus, but he also says he was thankful for your love toward all the saints. Now, you know, we have a tendency in the church to call someone a saint who's a really godly person, who we think of as a really godly person. But in the Bible, it just refers to Christians. You know, if you have become a follower of Jesus, then you are a saint. That's what scripture says. And so Paul was just thankful that all of these church members were loving one another. He thought that was so important that he, he brings that out in his letter. And he, he emphasizes it again a little bit later on. In uh, four, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, or 3, excuse me, he says this, To lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We've got a responsibility as a church member, and it's to be a source of unity. 
We are never to be a divisive force. You're to love each other unconditionally. Now that doesn't mean you have to agree with everyone all the time. But it does mean that on occasion you need to be willing to sacrifice your own preferences for the unity of the church. Now we're going to get to this issue of preferences in next week, but right now we're talking about unity. Okay? Because when we seek unity, what we're doing is we're demonstrating love. Right? We're going to look at Paul's words one more time, and this is in his letter to uh, the church at Colossae. Hopefully this sounds a little bit familiar. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. That's our church's scripture. Paul said, above all. It doesn't get much more important than that, right? He's making a point there. Unity is really important in a church. And so I ask you today, first of all, are you doing your part? Are you being a source of unity? Number two. You can be a unifying church member by avoiding gossip and other negative talk. Now there's a list in Romans, it's uh, Romans 1, 29 through 31, that's actually a pretty depressing list. It's a list of all these unrighteous acts. So let's take a look. Let's be depressed for a little while. They were filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, Strife, deceit, craftiness, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, rebellious towards parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Now that list will wear you out. And look what's right smack in the middle. Gossip. Gossip. Now, the simple dictionary meaning of gossip really speaks volumes. Some dictionaries call it idle talk. Uh, some connect it to rumors. Others just say it's unproven personal or private information about others. But no matter what definition you look at, gossip is bad, right? It's destructive. It's destructive to relationships and it's very destructive in churches. You know, this whole message is about unity, and there's, there's really very few things that can destroy unity of a church more quickly and more thoroughly than gossip. I've heard of a, uh, and I don't know the name of it, but it's supposedly a well-known Christian organization where the prohibition of gossip is actually spelled out in the employee manual. And, and what it says is if an employee has a concern about another employee, he or she is supposed to take that concern directly to the employee. And if for some reason they cannot present this directly, then the employee has got to go to their supervisor. 
And so what they're saying, well, first of all, that's a very biblical model, if you're familiar with it. In Matthew, I mean, that's exactly what Matthew tells us to do. You go to a person with a difference, and if that it can't be resolved, then you bring a couple of others along to help mediate and so forth. And so in this, in this particular organization, gossip is just flat not tolerated. And you could, because it's there in the employment, you could actually lose your job if it comes to light that, that you have been gossiping. Well, you know, doesn't that seem a little petty? No. Because it could tear apart the unity of that organization. You know, it doesn't have to be, just be a church. I think we've all probably been in situations where gossip has really harmed, you know, the unity of an organization. I mean, the Apostle James really minced no words when he wrote about the negative power of the tongue. He says, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty strong language. So how do we respond to this issue of gossip? Because you can say to yourself, well, I'm, I'm not going to gossip, but that what happens when it just kind of becomes a part of where you are? You know, you may not be spreading it, but you're all of a sudden on the receiving end. Well, first of all, don't be a source. You know, if you have any doubt about if something might be gossip or not, just don't say it. Keep your tongue under control, as James has, has encouraged us. And secondly, if someone in the church begins to share something with you that sounds like gossip, just gently rebuke them. You, know, you don't have to be harsh in your response, but you know, just say, you know, look, I, you know, we really don't want to gossip. This is not helpful, you know, healthy for the church, and so forth. So I found this little thing that kind of helped us remember. Julie, Eunice, and I are so glad you could join our prayer group. Lord knows we need prayer now more than ever. Amen, sister. Barbara and I just love to lift the needs of others up in prayer. Well, I appreciate your invitation. Well, enough of this chitter-chatter. we got to get this show on the road. Now, I don't know if you've heard, but the Hendersons are in real need of prayer. Tom Henderson lost his job. Did you see Tom Jr.'s haircut the other day? He looked like a porcupine on Red Bull. I hear Tom Sr. spends all day on the computer looking at the internet, watching videos on the YouTube. That's probably why he got fired. Oh, no, no, no. His boss caught him on the surveillance camera playing Texas Hold'em. Hold them accountable, I say. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for housewives like us to have hobbies, but he is a man of the church. He has a family. He should know better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I would like to lift up Verna Carlson. Oh, she has not been feeling very well. What's wrong with her? Well, I heard it was her weight, five pounds in one week. More like 15. Someone needs to tell her that eating ice cream will not save her demonic children. Oh, don't we know it? That little Jeffrey almost ruined the service the other day, singing at the top of his lungs for all the world to hear. So wrong. Mm. I have a prayer request. Um, 
the Whitmans are going back to Peru for a month to build houses. Oh, they work so hard over there in that poor country. That's a good prayer request. They're such a nice couple. And her apple pie was the hit of the bake sale. Oh, yeah, but what about that V-neck sweater? I mean, if it had been any lower, well, I, I just didn't think that it was becoming. I noticed that, too. I didn't want to say anything. And let's not forget the dress that she wore last Easter. I noticed that, too. I didn't want to say anything. Um, I have another prayer request um, for us because um, we're just sitting here gossiping. And I was thinking that, you know, we shouldn't be tearing down our brothers and sisters. We should be edifying them and lifting them up. So, we should probably pray for ourselves. Well, I guess you're right. We should know better. Yes, we should. No, I do it too. I mean, last week at the picnic, I told everybody that Betty's son was going to jail. and. I found out he's going to Yale. <laughs> well, wow. I don't know what happened to us. You know who's really bad at gossip? Who? Well, at least she tried to say something, right? You know? Kindly but forcefully, you know, say that you would rather not hear any gossip and that you wouldn't want it to spread. You know, you can be a unifier in the church with those simple words. You know, just stop. And if there's just a few more people like you, then, you know, word actually will begin to travel that the, the church just won't tolerate gossip. And then the congregation ultimately becomes a place of joy and unity. You know, as it says in 1 Peter 3.10, For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. So, love life. See good days. Control your tongue. Stop the gossip and be a unifier. And then you can also practice, uh, or you can be a unifying church member by practicing forgiveness. <clears throat> it was one of those experiences that seemed to come out of left field. Tom was a young man in the business world. He and his wife had joined a church that they loved. They loved the pastor and his preaching. They loved the fellowship. They loved the ministries of the church. Tom's pastor mentioned in a sermon that he would be willing to meet with any men on Tuesday mornings at 5 a.m. to pray for God's leadership in the church. He said he wasn't looking for a crowd, just a few men that wanted to make the commitment. Tom jumped at the opportunity. Those mornings are memories Tom covets to this day more than three decades later. Praying with godly men, fellowship with the pastor he loved seeing God really move in people's lives. And then it happened, in Tom's own words. We began our prayer time with no words spoken aloud. We were taking time to talk to God before we verbalized our prayers for others to hear. But every time I tried to pray, 
my mind went back to my high school years. Every time the teacher's face would appear in my mind's eye, it was so strange, but I couldn't pray. You see, the teacher had physically abused me. I had kept the secret and told no one. I was ashamed, angry, and unforgiving. I realized what God was doing. If God was to use me as his instrument in the church, I had to forgive the teacher. So I told my fellow prayer warriors and asked God to forgive me for the sin of not forgiving. Then I forgave the man who had hurt me many years earlier. The moment was liberating. My prayer life opened again. And God began to use me in unexpected ways. I would soon leave the church and my business job. God called me to vocational ministry. And it all began with forgiveness. <clears throat> Jesus said it pretty clearly. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. <clears throat> Unity in the church will not happen if members have unforgiving hearts. Too many times members have anger and hurt because of something another member has said or done. Too many times members are angry and hurt at the pastor or the staff because of something they said or did or failed to do. <clears throat> I love the way Paul puts it in Colossians. Chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, as he spoke directly to the members of that church. He says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so must you uh, so you also must forgive now i hope this is not a big news flash for anybody but harmony vineyard church is made up of imperfect members and imperfect pastors yeah you're all stunned i can tell <laughs> we all make mistakes we all sin and yes, we are all hypocrites. Church unity is torn apart when members refuse to forgive. Or when any member is too prideful to grant forgiveness. Jesus loved us so much that he died on a cross to forgive us. And so now that he has forgiven us, we must forgive each other. It's essential to the unity of the church. Well, imagine this scenario. A man invites a friend into his home for dinner. They enjoy a delicious meal that the man's wife has graciously offered to make. The man and his friend casually catch up on life, but then halfway through the meal, the invited guest starts to do something 
unbelievable. He starts to list the things that the friend's wife could have done better. The chicken was way too tough, he said. You really should have marinated it a bit longer. And the broccoli was overcooked. I mean, it was mushy and bland. My 12-year-old daughter could cook a better meal than that. And you really should do something different with your hair. And then he starts to criticize her character and even ridicule her. Just a guess, but I'm thinking his visit's probably going to be cut short. And I'm thinking he's probably going to get sent away with a few choice words in the process. You see, even if he was right about certain things, the typical husband simply wouldn't tolerate someone openly and caustically criticizing his wife. He loves her. And for a husband, that leads to accepting and honoring his wife, despite any quirks or shortcomings that she may have. Unfortunately, we tolerate this mean-spirited criticism all the time when it's directed at the church. And if we're not careful, it's easy for us to look at the church and her leaders and say to others, well, the church should have done, or I wish the church hadn't done. You fill in the blanks. Or better yet, leave them blank. If there's an issue that comes up, why don't you first think about how important the issue really is? And then if you believe that it's really important, think about how you could make it better. Remember, we're all to be functioning church members. And that means taking responsibility for what goes on. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about looking at something and saying, gosh, you know, that needs to be done. And I, I mean, I'm as capable as anyone else. Maybe I should do that. And if you see trash laying around the sanctuary, and I mean, we have it clean, so hopefully that doesn't happen. But you know, don't go to someone and say, you know, somebody else should really be picking up that trash. <laughs> no, you pick it up. That's what it means to be a functioning church member. It could be that it's something that only I can fix. And if that's the case, then, you know, just come and, and talk to me about it. If you've done what I've just suggested in these previous steps, that's going to be a pretty easy conversation to have. I was, and I'll close with this. I was talking with um, a friend who's also a pastor the other day. And um, we were just talking about, you know, how in some churches when change is, is, occurs, people, it bothers some more than others. Let's just put it that way. And uh, he was talking in particular about a transition that was occurring where he had stepped down as the senior leader and his associate had stepped up into the senior leadership role and how several families left the church as a result of that. 
And he said, now, I've been talking about this for two or three years. So it's not like this was just this really sudden, you know, out of nowhere sort of piece, um, piece of information. But he said that maybe he hadn't done a good enough job in the nearer term of, you know, talking about it or whatever. But he said, regardless, it wasn't like this was just a big surprise. And of course, you know, these families leave and you always have to stop and kind of think about that. Then he said something that really kind of I thought was pretty interesting. He's like, you know, sometimes what change does is it points out just how much someone really likes their church. I thought, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it. But I think he's right. You know, we'll tolerate certain things because it's comfortable and because it's familiar. And then all of a sudden when something changes, and especially if it's something that we don't particularly like, now all of a sudden we realize, well, I, didn't really I don't really like this place as much as I thought. And I mean, it's kind of easy to tell that because if you really like your church, if you really love your church, you're going to be inviting people to come with you to church, at least so it would seem. And so I think it's important that, you know, we all kind of hear this message about unity and how, uh, and like I said, next week we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about this issue of unselfishness. And I'll just preview it now, this idea that church is all about me. And I don't mean me. I mean, if I were sitting out there, you're pointing at yourself, Right? Because that's an attitude that can sometimes be prevalent in churches. So anyway, we're gonna we'll talk about that next week. Um, I just I have this sense that the spirit wants to do something this morning. So we're just gonna be quiet for a few minutes, and um, just kind of wait and see what uh, what happens. So this is you know we want to be very intentional about allowing this Holy Spirit time to work and time to do things in our services. And so um, this is just one of the ways that we do that. And, uh, you know, sometimes silence is uncomfortable for people. Um, but sometimes silence is necessary to really hear what God's doing or what God wants to say. So... Um, we're just going to wait for it. So let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you for, uh, for your spirit. And I thank you for the, the desire that is so clear that you always want us to be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be. We're so thankful that you love us anyway, even when we're not so good versions of ourselves. But you never give up on your desire for us to be even better. And so we thank you for that opportunity today, Lord, for whoever it is that you have uh, pointed out. And I just pray that they hear the words and take the actions that you have uh, offered them on this day. For, uh, for everyone else, Father, I just pray blessings upon each member, each person here. Help us to, uh, to truly show your love to somebody this week that is uh, in dire need of it. Point them out to us and just make it so clear that there's no way we can be mistaken.
bless us all as we go off to do whatever it is that uh, the world calls us to do. But let us take you with us as we do it. So we give you thanks and praise, Father. We give you honor and glory in all things. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.